This is Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. I'm Barbara Ramirez. We want to remind you that this program broadcasts from the rightful lands of the Tiwa people. Tonight, it is our honor to speak with Dr. Finney Coleman, who teaches courses in African-American literature and culture at the University of New Mexico. Dr. Coleman shares his wisdom with us regarding navigating the world at the moment that we're living in, education, the upcoming election, and the meaning of Black History Month to him. Generation Justice member Jacqueline Wynn shares her letter to Palestinian journalist Bisan Aura. And we, of course, share our weekly vaccine equity segment to keep you all safe and informed. Dr. Finney Coleman teaches courses in African-American literature and culture at the University of New Mexico, where he has served as a former president of the Faculty Senate. Co-founder of the Delsley Group, he supports housing and education for his community and beyond. Here's DJ's Elijah Cage speaking with Dr. Finney Coleman. This is Elijah Cage with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Dr. Finney Coleman, past president of the Faculty Senate at the University of Mexico, an American Council on Education Fellow, or ACE, Dr. Coleman has served UNM as Intern Dean of University College, Director of American Literary Studies, and Director of Africana Studies. He is co-founder of the Delsley Group, a nonprofit organization that houses Conexiones Africanas, Conexiones Indigenas, and Visible Education Solutions. Dr. Coleman, welcome to Generation Justice. Well, thank you, Elijah. I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I, I appreciate you mentioning some of the other things that that keep me busy. Um, and I'm really delighted to have a chance to to chat with you this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming in today and giving us your time. Um, what courses are you currently teaching at UNM this semester? Well, I'm teaching two courses. I'm teaching a course... Um, they, they kind of dovetail together. Uh, the first one is African-American literature, the Black arts movement, where we talk about um, the poetry of the Black arts movement, um, you know, during the civil rights and the Black power movement and all of the kind of literature and art that kind of um, came to us in the 1960s and then dovetailing that into hip hop culture uh, and the birth of hip hop culture. The second class is actually part two of that class where we look at the origins of hip hop culture and the black arts movement and move forward to um, Black Lives Matters and uh, hip hop culture and what I'm calling the public image of blackness. And so both courses look back at how black people have been depicted in the media over the centuries and how black youth in particular have struggled to kind of rest control of that image, that public image of blackness, try to gain that control for themselves so that they can curb some of the kind of stereotypes and um, other things that have uh, been used to, uh, to frankly keep black people from achieving, you know, the highest uh, things that they can achieve in life, art, literature, culture, history, politics, et cetera. Um, it is February. And 
as the special advisor to the Mexico Black History Month organizing committee, what does Black History Month mean to you? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting question because what it's meant to me has changed over time. Um, there was a time when I thought about Black History Month as, oh, why is it the shortest month of the year? And, you know, that was before I learned anything about Black history. And, you know, initially it was Black History Week. It was expanded to Black History Month. It was Black History Week in honor of Abraham Lincoln's birthday. And so it expanded. And so as I've grown as an adult, grown as an intellectual, what Black History Month means has changed from those early kind of, oh, I think it's a time to, you know, go have a party or to go watch a documentary to coming to understand that it's a month that we can reflect on all of the remarkable accomplishments of Black people, but also to move beyond that reflection to think about the ways in which our presence in this country has shaped it. Um, and when we do that, we come to see that it's not just that we have shaped the country, we've shaped our country. This is our country. We helped to build it from the ground up. And um, Black History Month is a way for us to celebrate that. But it's also an opportunity for us to dovetail our efforts and to think about other groups of people, um, our brothers and sisters in, you know, uh, the Tejano uh, community, um, Chicano, Chicana communities, um, in South Asian, Southeast Asian communities, et cetera, all these different organizations that we have around UNM. It's a great opportunity for us all to come together and celebrate our difference, but then to also come together to form an agenda so that we strengthen what it is that we're trying to do here at the university and in our community and frankly across the state and across the country. So for, for me, Black History Month is a great opportunity that when I was younger, I didn't realize exactly what it meant, um, what it could mean. And so I, I, I challenge all of, uh, all of the students here at UNM to recognize um, the importance of Black History Month. Um, it's not uh, just a, a time where you are reflecting on your past, but you're using that past, you're using that strength, that power to shape your future. So for, for me, Black History Month is about looking forward as much as it is looking back. Thank you so much, Dr. Coleman. I think it's important that we acknowledge that. And now being a part of the organizing committee, what is significant or a highlight for you for this year's activities? Well, you know, we, there's a, there are a lot of opportunities uh, to celebrate Black History Month across across the state. Um, we just had Black History Month brunch here at UNM. And, you know, for me, that was a real highlight because it celebrated Asia Brooks, who is a fantastic leader in our community, um, highlighting what it is that, that she had to share with our community, but also looking forward into the month at other events. Um, of course, we've got the other events at, at UNM. Um, I myself am going to be in a play, August Wilson's uh, Jitney. It, we're, we're preparing that. It won't be this, it'll be in March, not in, in February. Um, but those are the kinds of things that are, are, are happening around, about, around Albuquerque uh, that I'm excited about. Thank you, Dr. Coleman. And Dr. Coleman, can we talk about the state of the world right now? You have a military background and have been educating young people about various aspects of Black history through your classes and even community-based activities. So what is your analysis on 
of what the state is i mean of what the state of the country is in right now if that yeah is. you know i i think sort of in the same way that um that i answered the the question about black history month i i see it kind of two ways um so i know that for many of us this is a dire moment it is a moment of crisis um we are suffering from um, the doubling down on ideology and political rhetoric rather than critical thinking in our society right now. And what I want the young people who are listening to this to remember is that what you're seeing is not our best. What you're seeing is not our brightest. What you're seeing are a lot of individuals who um, are opportunist and who are using people's ideology um, to advance their own needs and that to me is at once a challenge, but also an opportunity, because I want our young people to recognize that there's a lot to disengage from. A lot of the political rhetoric is nasty, personal, immature even. I'm, I'm embarrassed by the status of the debate. I'm embarrassed that people from my generation are behaving the way that they are behaving, the example that we're setting for the youth in terms of political discourse, public discourse, where we can't have civil disagreements, right? Um, we we seem to have lined ourselves up on one side of an issue or, an, or another. But the place that I'm most concerned about is the slippage between the reality of the world and the, the gaslighting about what is happening in the world. There are some really truly horrific things going on around the planet. There are some wonderful things happening around the planet as well. Um, but we want to focus on the sensational um, that which sells newspapers or or subscriptions or gets get clicks on online rather than focusing on the truth with the idea to move to what the second part of wait the way I see things is the great opportunity that we have to engage our youth in building a better country than the one that we have. Um, and it's always been our youth that have been in the street fighting for the principles of justice. Um, the principles of equality, that fight needs to continue. And, you know, the rules have always been the same, that the brilliance, the vibrancy of our young people is how this country um, is going to change. So it saddens me that so many young people are checking out of the political process, but I completely understand that. I feel that. And, you know, I can't blame them for that. And it's not their fault, it's our fault. Our generation has simply failed to properly demonstrate what it needs, what it means to be civil um, and civic-minded. And we, su we, we substitute jingoism for patriotism in this country without thinking about it. Um, a jingoist is someone who imagines that the country is flawless, that's always been good, that it's something that's always been great and the like. And if you criticize it in any way, if you say anything about it, then somehow you're the bad guy. Somehow you're wrong. Um, I've always thought that that's misguided, uh, that patriotism is about critiquing the institutions, critiquing our government, um, help holding our officials accountable. And, you know, if we continue the way that we are, then people will simply be able to lie about the facts of the world and get away with it because they won't be held accountable. So your your generation... Um, the challenge is the same that was for my generation. It's for you all to be better than we were, to do better than than we've uh, been able to do. 
And from what I understand and what I see of your generation, you're perfectly capable of doing that. And that that gives me a lot of courage. Um, it gives me uh, makes me feel really proud um, to see the remarkable work uh, that that you and your generation have been about. You know, Dr. Coleman, you mentioned opportunities, and I would just like to add, you know, as a youth, especially entering or studying the major that I am, this immaturity, like you said, provides an example for us on what we want to change, you know, and what we want to improve on. And, you know, my generation has all the tools and resources and capabilities of doing this change. And, you know, although some of the things that are going on in the country, most people wouldn't agree with it, um, with these things, you know, in some way, in the long run, it gives us hope. It gives me hope because it influences me to be better and to be uh, an example for when I am of age and I have people looking up to me, they want to also improve on the things that I had already improved on, if that makes sense. And I just want to thank you for mentioning that. And what do you wish people would be paying attention to right now? Yeah, wow, that's a great question. Um, there are a number of things. Um, I think um, when there are so many really powerful things going on, this war in Ukraine, um, this remarkable um, conflict in uh, the Middle East that, in my opinion, is bordering on genocide, um, that it's easy to, you know, focus in on those things, you know, we should be paying more attention there. And I, and I certainly don't want to say that we, we shouldn't be. But I think we should also be um, focusing on the erosion of uh, civil rights in our country. Um, I think that there should be a significant uh, amount of outrage about the number of laws that are being put on the books that curb an individual's right to vote, asking elderly people who no longer need a driver's license to produce a state identity so just so that they can vote. Um, someone to produce, um, you know, um, credentials that um, other people possess you know, as a matter of course. And what that d results in is the disfranchisement of the elderly, um, the poor, um, people of color. Um, but for me, I think the most devastating um, absence right now is the absence of an outcry about women's rights to um, decide what they're going to do with their own bodies. And the repeal of Roe v. Wade to me um, was a horrible error in our country. I know that 50% of the people out there, if not more, maybe disagree with me on that. Um, and while for me, it's an issue that I stay away from personally, because for me, I would never choose to do that personally. But I, how dare I go out and tell someone else what they should do? Um, and so 
you know, that is a, a very um, uh, intimate, personal decision that I believe should be made between um, a young person or, an, or it doesn't necessarily be an old person, any person and their physician and their family. Um, that's not my business um, to be trying to dictate uh, how people live their lives at the most intimate level of what it is that they're doing uh, in their lives. Um, and this is an anguishing decision for young people who, who find up find themselves having to make it. It's a decision that um, many of them were, are going to deal with uh, for the rest of their life. It doesn't matter which direction they go in that decision, but I think that they should have the right to make the decision. And um, I think our youth have to um, stand up, those who believe, believe in that, um, and have their voices uh, heard. And it may sound hypocritical, but I also believe that the people who are staunchly against it should stand up and have their voices heard. We should have a discussion about this, not a fait accompli. Um, we should be talking about what's going on in our country, educating ourselves, educating our, our youth, educating our kids, um, uh, but not taking draconian measures. Uh, uh, but I also want us, I wish that young people were paying more attention to what's happening on our southern border. And um, I think there's a humanitarian crisis growing there. And in much the same way in 9-11, when 9-11 happened, I don't, I don't think you were born yet, Elijah, but uh, maybe you were, I don't know. But um, when that happened, it was curious to me that our question was, um, who did this? Because we wanted to find them, we wanted to destroy them. And we very rarely were asked, why did this happen? And you know, we can always find out who did it and we can always punish them. But we should have also taken that moment to figure out why someone would do something as, you know, uh, as devastating as that. And when we look at our southern border, we can use the same framework. Um, sure, there are people who might argue, oh, why are these people, uh, you know, they can't come into our country. We're going to ship them out. We're going to put barbed wire in, and not just barbed wire, but concertina wire in uh, the Rio Grande, just above uh, the water level. Now, as a former soldier, to me, that borders on what I would call a war crime, or war crime, war crime, because if someone is crossing that border at night and they cannot see that wire, what they don't know is how you get out of it. I was trained how to get out of that as a soldier, and most human beings don't know. Um, and that is, you sit still and you wait till somebody comes and cuts you out. Because if you move, you get more entangled in it, and you're going to bleed to death. I can't imagine what it must be for someone who has walked literally through Guatemala, through Mexico, all the way to our border, seeking uh, seeking um, a different life, a better life for them and their children, and then to have your child caught in concertina wire at that border, and to watch that child struggle, and you struggle and watch that child die because someone put wire in a river that you couldn't see. To me, that's dastardly and it's wrong. And I think that's what needs to be looked at. We need, your our youth need to have an outcry, there should be an outcry about what's happening on this border. Of course, we need reform. We need to have a better system at the border, but we can be humane and treat people with dignity um, while we figure that out. And that's what we're failing to do. We are, we're, we're, um, we're putting people in harm's way. Um, young people are dying on that border. Uh, children are dying on that border. 
Um, I think we as a nation can be better than that. Um, and your generation is going to be saddled with that as an issue. What is it that you're going to do that we fail to do? How is it that you're going to make sure that, as I say in my class and I say in the new student orientation that I give uh, in the summers, how do you, how, I don't care what your political affiliation is. I don't care if you're liberal. I don't care if you're Republican. I don't care if you're a Democrat. Uh, I don't care if you're hardcore conservative or somewhere in the middle or even to the far edges of that, left and right. How do we make sure that no kid gets put into a cage? How do we make sure that no child dies on our southern border? That should be our focus. We can fix the other things. We can find the humanitarian um, relief for people. But um, I want our youth to pay attention to what's going on in the world um, and, to, and to use that powerful voice that you have to, uh, to curb some of those negative things. Dr. Coleman, what are your concerns on the state of the country, if any? I think my concern is social media has given a lot of our young people um, what sometimes is a mindless outlet for what is essentially their free time. Um, and time is their most precious commodity. And I'll see young people, and I, I, I have two teenagers, um, spend hours upon hours watching TikTok videos. And I understand that there's some value and seeing those videos, entertainment value, um, and that there are educational components to that too. Um, but I would like to see our young people spend more time talking to each other face-to-face, -face, developing those skills that say, hey, let's talk to each other and you know see each other, be in the room, be present with each other, and learn about uh, the world together. I, I lament that. Um, I think that social media is an incredibly powerful tool. It can be a very useful tool, um, but in the hands of people who want the masses to fall asleep, it has it's it is an incredibly potent drug as well. Um, that we can spend so much time, you know, figuring out, you know, the the latest TikTok dance or you know the the latest uh, fashion trend. Who's got the best drip um, on the southeast side? of you know, Los Angeles, when you're ignoring this Holocaust that's taking young people's lives, thousands upon thousands of children have had to have their arms and legs amputated. Where's your voice? Where's, where's the outcry? What can you be doing other than that? And I, I don't want to sound like, oh, you guys are watching, you spending too much time on social media. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's a time and a place for all of that. Use your time wisely. You, you have a limited amount of it. It's the one thing that you cannot purchase. And it's the one thing that once you've used, you cannot get back again. So use that time very wisely. And I, I know I'm preaching, and I know that people might turn off at that, but um, yeah, I, th that's my concern. And you know, just as, as you said, just as social media can be used for good, can also be quite harmful in many ways. And, you know, I think as somebody who has access to social media and who's on it, you know, quite a bit, um, I think some of these things that you mentioned about paying attention to earlier are not being talked enough because of social media. In some ways, this is the point of social media especially because youth are the main 
users, you know, us being youth, we're the next generation, we have phones, computers, we have access to everything with uh, with our technology and, you know, we're so focused on what's popular and what's this that we're not focused on reality and the things that are truly going on in the real world. We're so focused on shoes, what's coming on and shows and this and that, that most people don't know that there are kids being locked up in cages. Most people don't know what's going on in other countries. And like you said, this interaction between two individuals face-to-face is one of the reasons why we're not we we're not aware of these situations. Along the same lines, is there anything you want to say about the upcoming elections in November, Dr. Coleman? I do. I have a, a lot of things to share. And, you know, I think it's really important that I want people to be engaged in the debate. I want them to to be locked into the issues at at play. But what's happening, I think, is a lot of people are tuning out of what's going on. It's still early. And, you know, we're going to get to to May um, here soon. But the one thing that we can't have is for people to use the kind of discord that's afoot right now to justify um, not participating. Um, I think that's I think that's a mistake. Um, and I would hope that um, that people would would use this as a moment to educate our youth. Many of them, I imagine this is your first opportunity, Elijah, to to actually vote in a presidential election. Um, and I would want uh, I would want for for you to, um to exercise that right that so many people have fought so hard for you to have um and yet i hear so many of our youth saying they're not going to vote at all because they don't like the candidates and you know i'm not going to say it's a cop out because i think one of your rights is to not vote but i want you to if you're going to choose not to vote to have something more sub, you know substantiated than well, I just don't like the people who are there. There are many other races up and down the ballot that require our attention. If you don't want to vote in the presidential part of it, fine, but at least still vote. Go to the polls. There are many other issues that face our community that we need your voice on. Um, I, of course, want people to vote in you know every part of the ballot, but you know even if it's going into the ballot box and choosing no one and walking out. Metaphorically, you did your civic duty, so to speak, right? And if your conscience says, I can't vote for any of these candidates and you can turn away from that process, then fine. But to disengage from the process before it um, gets to you know its end, it, it sets a bad precedent for you going forward in your political life. Because every other election that you don't like a candidate, you just bail out of it. Uh, I think that's a mistake. I think the, the franchise is far more complex than simply voting for an individual that you like. It's about 
how you shape our country and, and use this franchise that has been so hard fought for uh, to make a difference. So I, you know, I, I, I feel like I should have like, uh, you know, should be getting paid by one of the soapbox companies. I've been, a, I've been preaching a lot. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, I'll get off my soapbox on that. No, you're fine, Dr. Colbert. Thank you so much. And, you know, I would just like to add that I think a lot of people, a lot of people vote based off of other people's judgment and opinions, you know, with the use of, you know, again, social media, you know, we see a lot of debates on negativity on all these politicians and what they did and what they did, but we don't actually do the research ourselves. Therefore, we vote for is basically not even our vote. We voted, it was just another vote for somebody else. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah. you know, I just wanted to add that. You know, thank you. Yeah. Dr. Coleman, I'm a first generation college student. What would be a message from you to UNM students in general and to students like me that this is a new environment to maneuver in? Yeah. Well, like you, I'm also a first generation student. Um, and I, I, when I came to college, no one, you know, my mother had graduated high school and, um, you know, that was about the highest that we'd gone in our, our family. Um, the, I think the first thing is um, to recognize the extraordinary opportunity that being able to get an education represents um, and to never forget that. I, when I was in, when I first started in, in college, I was actually at the United States Military Academy Preparatory School and I was getting crushed in math. I'm just getting, just getting crushed. And, you know, I would go to the cafeteria and I would get a bowl of rice, some salt, and a pat of butter. And that would be my meal. Because every now and then I needed to be reminded that that used to be my meal. That as a child, I came up impoverished. And that those days when I would, you know, eat just that, just salt, butter, and rice, um, it reminded me of everything that people had given up, all the hard work uh, that had gone into giving me an opportunity to be there in the first place, and that I wasn't going to quit, that I wasn't going to give up. And I think that all of us need to have healthy reminders, not so much of the hardships that we've had in the past, but how we're going to use those hardships to help other people not have those hardships in the future. And if you're future focused, if you think about what it is that you've gone through, what it is that uh, you are going through, and remembering that you're making um, the situation better for yourself, but also making it better for other people who are going to come behind you, then I think you find great strength. If all you are focused on is you and doing what is right and best for you as kind of a self-centered logic, then you know that 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 motivation becomes hollow. And when you start to do things because they're the right things to do, because they're the smart things to do, because they're the just things to do, um, that you're going to help other people in the world other than yourself, 
then you find um, that intrinsic uh, motivation. And that's hard to come by, finding the reason why you're doing this. And it will help you get through that math. It helped me to get through it. It'll help you to get through those lit courses, those science and chemistry classes, all those things that you need to get a good solid education. Um, you know, I think that uh, I would tell you to be resilient and that you're not alone, that you're part of a pack, that this place, um, unlike a lot of other places, this place really is about that pack. When you go into the fro, for example, I always want to give a, a shout out to, you know, the leadership um, at, at the fro. Um, what Brandy has, has done there is, is re remarkable, soon to be Dr. Brandy Stone, I hope. Um, and to see this remarkable energy there and the young people who are, uh, who are, are killing it coming out of the fro, people who are coming out of Centro de la Raza, the hard work that you see coming out of that office, um, the students who are coming through um, Native American studies and through um, what used to be Pamagoyo's organization down there. I, I'm, I'm remiss because I don't know who took her place. But the young women who made those ethnic centers what they've become, I'm so proud of that work, so happy about what's come out of it. So I see a great deal of potential. And if we can remember that you have that kind of backup behind you, um, then I think I think you're going to do fine. Um, and of course, never give up, never quit, never stop fighting. Um, never, ever, ever stop doing that. So thank you so much for that beautiful message, Dr. Coleman. You know, my mother would always tell me, everybody, there's, hold on. My mother would always tell me, everything that you have can be taken. The only thing that they can't take is what you know. And, you know, that's always gone a long way with me. You know, I've always liked to learn. I'm an observant um, person, <laughs> you know, and there's things that instilled in from my mother that my mother have instilled in me from a young age that, you know, you don't see a lot nowadays in some of our youth. And, you know, your message is, is inspiring. I thank you for that. Sounds like your mother's a wise woman. <laughs> One the wisest person I know, for sure. Where can people go to find out more about your work, Dr. Coleman? Yeah, well, I, you know, my work is really in the classroom. Um, and for students here at UNM, uh, you don't have to be enrolled in my class to actually come in. In fact, I have guests that come in all the time. You know, sometimes scheduling works out that you can't, you know, you know, be part of that. But we go hard every day. And, you know, the way that I'm talking to you today is that this is what we do on a daily basis. I'm proud of my classes, proud of the work that, you know, we, we get done in those classes. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm working on book projects and articles and things like that, that folk can go and, and check out, you know, pull that stuff up online or whatever. But um, I'd much rather you come sit and, and talk to me, holler at me face to face. Um, I know that when I was an undergrad, I didn't have me on campus, right? And I'm here for you all. Um, and I, 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 you know, want you to take advantage of that. Um, and, you know, come, come sit with me, come sit in my class. Um, 
I'm always, I try to always make myself available. I know people complain, say, hey, I can never find you. Email is not the way to get me. You need to Google stalk me and track me down. <laughs> email, do not try to catch me on email. Um, but come to my classes. My classes are posted. Um, I teach in Dane Smith Hall, room 328 at 930 on Tuesday, Thursday. And then I teach again at 1230 in Dane Smith, uh, 128, I think it is. I might have got, I might have the, it might be 318 and 128. Um, but you'll hear me. I'm the loud voice. The music's booming usually. Just while when you hear the music booming, you know you got to the right classroom. Okay. Oh, speaking on classes, what classes would you be teaching next semester, Dr. Coleman? Well, next semester, I'm hoping to be on sabbatical. So um, it's hard to get me. Um, I hope to teach an intercession course um, on the Black presence in Mexico, a study abroad course where we go down to Mexico and we visit these Afro-Mexican villages. And I talk about the transatlantic slave trade. I talk about, um, you know, a lot of people don't know that before Jamestown, there were Black people living in free communities in Mexico, that Mexico had a Black president um, just about the same time that our nation was just getting started. So, you know, there, there are a lot of our neighbors just like just next door. A lot of folk don't realize that far more people of African descent were imported into Mexico than were into the United States, what's now the United States. So um, connecting up with with our, our, our roots down, our family down in Mexico has always been fun. The young people who've gone on that trip, um, it's been life altering because it gets gives them a chance to see that they are part of the black diaspora as well as part of the United States, that they're part of two communities. Um, and a lot of our, our, our youth don't realize that. Um, that trip, uh, we also visit with um, indigenous communities uh, when we're down there. Um, obviously we deal with the, the, the museums and uh, all of the UNESCO sites and things like that while we're down there. Um, and the most important thing is it's a great time um, you learn about people, you learn about yourself. So I'm, I'm proud to be teaching that class uh, 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 here, uh, hopefully at some point during the summer. And then I'll be back at it the following semester. So I've got to get out and finish this one book project that I've been working on a long time. Man, that sounds amazing, Dr. Coleman. Thank you for your time here today, Dr. Coleman. We have reached the end of our interview today. And I just want to thank you so much for coming in and giving us your time. Um, you know, you talked a lot and I learned a lot. And I like, it's not every day that, you know, I get to talk to somebody like, let's just say like you, you know. Um, I've never had a male role model specifically of, of color. And, you know, speaking to you, is something of an influence to me as you gave me you gave all of us tips to people that would be listening but especially me i had i learned a lot of things and i thank you so much for that um well i i appreciate that elijah i really do and um you know i'm 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 here i'm available but i want to be clear i'm not alone um uh, in Africana studies, we have a remarkable faculty. All of them are willing to talk and, and engage 
in the same way. I think sometimes we forget because we're not many. I walk around campus, you know, for months at a time without seeing another uh, black male professor. So I know how rare, you know, it is to have a black professor, um, black male professor in, in particular here at UNM. But I, I appreciate that recognition. And um, I want to also, uh, while I want to thank you, Elijah, I wanna th also want to thank Barbara Ramirez um, for being our engineer and, and just, um, you know, just your energy on, on this, just watching your, your, your responses, Barbara, was, uh, was really cool, too. So thank you both for that positive energy. Um, is there anything else that you would like to add? Have me back. Just come back. I, I'm happy to come back. Um, you know, how, how do they how do they say? Don't just come get me at Black History Month. I'm around all year, so <laughs> holla at me. Absolutely, yes, sir. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> for Generation Justice, I'm Elijah Cage. See you later. Dr. Coleman, thank you so much for sharing your analysis with us about the challenges that our world faces today and what we can do as young people. I appreciate your commitment to students, and I thank you for all the work that you've done for the university and for our state. Now, here's the song, Uncle Sam Got Damn, by singer and community activist, Brother Ali, chosen by our guest, Dr. Finney Coleman. Come on, let's go. Uh, welcome to the United Snakes, land of the thief, home of the slave. Grand Imperial Guard where the dollar is sacred and proud. Let's do the real. Come on now. Smoke and mirrors, stripes and stars. Stoning for the cross in the name of God. Bloodshed, genocide, rape and fraud. Written to the pages of the law, good law. The cold continent latchkey child ran away one day and started acting foul. For the past month, Generation Justice has been sharing heartfelt letters from young New Mexicans to Palestinian journalists who are reporting about the genocide in Gaza. Tonight, Generation Justice member Jacqueline Wynn shares her letter to 25-year-old journalist Bisan Aura, who continues to share the truth about what is happening in Palestine. Here is Jacqueline Wynn. Here is Bisan. My name is Jacqueline Wynn. I'm from the U.S., but my family relocated from Vietnam after the war. Every day, my heart bleeds for the people of Gaza and all that you endure. When I see your face on the screen, which is itself a blessing, I see the pain of Gaza. Your eyes have witnessed children being orphaned, disease and starvation, destruction of historical buildings and homes. Your ears have heard bombs, the screaming of mothers that have lost their children, and empty promises. But your lips, they tell a different story. They tell of the resilience and strength of the Palestinian people. But despite destruction and the dehumanizing treatment, Palestinian strength and pride is everlasting. I can't imagine the pain that you must go through the mental distress that you go through on a daily basis through these difficult times. And I don't blame you for being frustrated with the world. But one thing that I do want you to remember is that what you do is powerful and it gives me strength. Even though it feels like you're fighting alone, 
you're not. There's a whole lot of people that support Palestine because of you, and we stand in solidarity with you. You are a hero, and we love you, and we will see a free pass. Jackie, thank you so much for your words and for standing in solidarity with Bisan. Our next song is Rosa Palestina, an Italian song about Palestine written in 1973 by Umberto Fiori. <laughs> Noi non crederemo ai bollettini israeliani, al tiranno Giordano traditore. It is time for our weekly vaccine equity segment. We'd like to remind you of a few important safety measures to avoid respiratory illness. The CDC reported 22,636 new hospitalizations from COVID-19 across the country. It is important to continue safety measures so that we don't contract COVID or any other respiratory illness. Remember, vaccinations are one of the best ways to protect yourself from serious illness, hospitalization, and death. If you're not current with your vaccinations, visit vaccinenm.org and schedule your appointment. Again, that is vaccinenm.org. Make sure you stay safe and protect your community by washing your hands frequently, wearing a KN95 mask, and practicing social distancing. And remember, if you feel sick, stay home and get tested. Tune in next week for more vaccine equity and COVID updates. We hope you've enjoyed this hour of education. We'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Finney Coleman. Tonight's hour of radio was produced by Roberta Rael and myself, Barbara Ramirez, with production assistance from Lily Lukau, and thank you to our interviewer, Elisha Cage, and to Jacqueline Wynn for her letter to Visan Aura. We want to give a big shout out to all of our youth producers. We could not do what we do without you. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you, KUNM listeners. Our website is generationjustice.org, where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcasts, which are also available on SoundCloud, Apple, and Google Podcasts. We're also active on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and follow our playlists on Spotify. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, with additional funding from the Annie E. Casey Foundation, the New Mexico Department of Health Infectious Disease Bureau, through the Better Together Coalition, the McCune Foundation, as well as Media Justice, the Santa Fe Community Foundation, and of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking Donate. Our opening song is Youth of the Nation by P.O.D., our last song of the night is Dr. Maya Angelou's Still I Rise. I'm Barbara Ramirez. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. Be safe. Good night, New Mexico.